My name is Patrick Curran, and along with fellow knucklehead Greg Hancock, we make up Quantitude, a podcast dedicated to all things quantitative, ranging from the relevant to the completely irrelevant. The episode begins with what I thought was going to be a discussion of statistics in the news, but in actuality turned into a surprise attack that rapidly devolved into a second edition of Pop Quiz. In addition to relentlessly attacking the credibility of one another, we discuss Waldo, Flat Stanley, and so, uh, Max Hedrum, Matt Damon, The Big Payback, The Maltese Falcon, Dead Kittens, The Hunger Games, The Dad Rule, Doppelgangers, Eye Twitches, Pregnancy Tests, and Costco Caskets. We hope you enjoy the show. So if things drop in the order we think they are, this should be episode three. Mm, that sounds right. What does that make it in total? Third or seven, Oh, I need to three, just restart three, counting. Seven, it's just seven. three. Okay. <laughs> okay. Episode three. Although this one is a little weird because, again, due to your world travels, uh-huh. whether that be in bear-infested Pacific Northwest, yeah. the preppers in northern Michigan, or I think you're somewhere in Ohio? Yes, I am in an attic room in my in-law's house in Ohio. I'm like, where's Waldo? <laughs> I never got past Flat Stanley. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like Jiffy. Where's Jiffy? Okay, and again, this is exactly like my mom who continues to cut out New York Times articles and (laughs) mails them to me. That today you texted me a screenshot of our Twitter where Jiffy was somewhere in Europe or something. It would appear there was a sighting in Brussels. I have a call into the international authorities. We'll see. (laughs) I have a sneaking suspicion if Jiffy does return, Mm -hmm. he's going to return changed. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. He was standing out front of a brothel, so I'm not sure... (laughs) What that implies. So this is episode three. To what extent has recording these gotten into your head? Ooh, yeah. So it it affects to some extent the way I talk, the way I tell stories. We share so much stuff on the podcast. I don't remember what stories. (laughs) You and I each only have three stories. (laughs) And I cut two of yours out every time I I edit. Every single time you cut two of mine out. (laughs) One thing I noticed is I can say that there is at least a 50% reduction in me starting each sentence with, and so, uh... (laughs) Now, the problem is, even though I'll chalk that up as a win, Uh that I still cut out like 30 of them. Yeah. One of our colleagues had sent a very sweet message. He was talking about how he records a lot of educational materials And he was wondering how we became so practiced that that we say things reasonably smoothly and we don't say um like every other word. And I had to disappoint him. (laughs) That could be the 14 hours of editing that every episode. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But what's so funny is you and I have these totally different tells. Mm -hmm. So I have the classic middle school, I use like and you know. In all the various ways that you can. And the classic and so, uh, 
which mm-hmm. serves no purpose at all. At mm-hmm. least you know is kind of like trying to include you and it's like mm-hmm. oh man you know when you like have this degree <laughs> of freedom problem the and so us darwin would have argued should have just died out over time uh-huh. they serve no purpose at all so that's my tell but years as you have this wonderful melodic repeating <sighs> of mm-hmm. terms mm-hmm. what you'll do what you'll do is say that, for example, for example, you'll start talking about, so let's say that we're talking about degrees of freedom, about degrees of freedom. So, yeah, we each have our crosses to bear. And so, um, and so. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, that's just mean. But that gets edited out. It all gets edited out. That's right. But here's the funny part. I am working with these three very talented undergrads. They were in a quant psych course that I taught last year, and we're doing an undergrad research project together. And we met yesterday on Zoom. I went a little bit into lecture mode, and I was talking about the normal probability density function. And I said something like, so keep in mind, this is an analytical probability density function with an atom." Keep in mind, this is an analytical probability density function. And then I stopped. And because I stumbled over my words, I paused to give uh-huh. a place to edit. Uh-huh. And then I reset it. And I laughed out loud. And all three of them were giving me this puzzled look. And and I told them what I did. As I said, oh, I, uh-huh. I'm going to edit that out later, not realizing it was live. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to tell them. Otherwise, they think, uh-oh. Grandpa's got a glitch in the matrix. (laughs) (laughs) The good old Max Headrum for Uh those of you who are our age. This is Max Headrum. The weird keeps getting weirder. Yeah. What the heck are we talking about today? Oh, actually, I'm really looking forward to this. Stats in the news. Yeah. Our semester has started, but as one or two of you listeners may have seen, the University of North Carolina was open for about an hour and a half before <laughs> deciding to close. Damn and it, I had two hours in the pool. <laughs> did you? I was at three and a half. I, okay. I lost five bucks right off the top. Uh-huh. We are back in session, and so I decided, well, how should I use this open work day I have? And I thought I will research examples of misuses of quant in the news. And I have a list of examples that I want to bounce off of you and talk about. Well, we had a fake sponsor at the end of last episode that had to do with the news giving us this constant stream of examples of just god-awful statistics. So that's nicely aligned with what we with what we had going on there. Editorial comment. That was an example of Greg's tell. I will tell you that my trigger finger, it's itching, but it's not itching for the reason that you think it is. Why are you holding up your phone with a timer? Can you see what's on the timer? One minute, 30 seconds. It would appear that you have repressed memories from last year. Last year at this time, we had a little old episode that we called Pop Quiz. Do you remember that, my friend? Just a second. What's that, honey? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, okay, I'll be right there. Greg, something's on fire. I've got to to go. Uh Honey, I'm coming. (laughs) Please, it's Greg. So to recap, while well, you're off doing that. Uh, I to don't re- like this at all. No, I am no, no, just, no. I am filing a formal mm-hmm. grievance at this point. <laughs> 
Great. Okay. So just to recap, last year, we were going to do some stuff. I had dug up a whole bunch of articles from the news, and you completely pivoted on me with something about, oh, you got to have songs in your fingertips and all this kind of... So again, I can see that you're completely blank because you've repressed the entire experience. All right. So if you're going to quote me, at least do it right. It was... And so uh, you got to have songs in your fingertips. Okay, that's funny, but you're stalling. So here's the deal. (laughs) I only have like 68 more minutes to stall. So here's the deal. For those of you who haven't listened to, I think it was episode three, maybe from last season, Pop Quiz, volume one. This is Pop Quiz part deux, or... (laughs) Subtitled payback is a b- There you go. The big payback. Hey! Got, got the payback. payback. Revenge! So the rules, for those of you who may not remember, this is what evolved last time. Oh, we God. give each other 90 seconds. We call out a topic And the person has to, the word you used last time was extemporize. And I gave you grief about that, but in fact, it's a legit word. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to extemporize on a topic of my choosing. I think this is a great game. At least for now, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I don't like any aspect of this. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do not like being unprepared. That thing that I said about having songs in your fingertips, that's just crap. That was just... (laughs) It's crap now. Vapid crap. Uh Uh-huh. And we'll see if it's still crap in 90 seconds. Your topic is scales of measurement. Go. Uh, Oh, my God. Three seconds have already gone. Scales of measurement. All right. When you think about scales of measurement, always think to yourself, Humphrey Bogart and the Maltese Falcon, because when you think about that, it's noir. It's film noir, N-O-I-R, hmm. nominal, ordinal, interval, ratio. Nominal, nominal is name. It carries no quantitative salience or characteristic. You could denote it by numbers, by letters, by a little snake and a flower and a smiley sign. If it denotes religious affiliation or self-identified gender, we can assign numbers to trick the program into giving us stuff, but it has no quantitative aspect. Ordinal is what you think it is. Order. First, second, third. Think of a race. You know who came in first, who came in second, who came in third. But you don't know how far it's between. So moving one to two, two to three, you have no idea. Maybe they finished side by side. Maybe they were a day and a half apart. You don't know. What sucks about that is we use this all the time. Liquor scales. And so we have strongly disagree, disagree, agree, strongly agree. You don't know if moving from one to the other is equal, from one to two, three to Ten four. Seconds. Oh my God, interval. You do know the difference between the, the levels, but there's no shared origin. So stand on a scale and you're 100 pounds, uh, pick up a cat, it's 108 pounds. And if the cat weighs eight pounds, ratio has a logical zero where zero is the absence of it's the beeping. construct. It's beeping. I can't hear you. Sorry. Zero is the absence of the construct. So you can take ratios of two variables that have have a shared origin. That sucked. I gave you like 11 extra seconds because I forgot how to work my phone. That was really nice of me. Charitable. Wow. So, you know, usually what we do, as in what you did last time 
is you took the opportunity to criticize me. I didn't have enough time. I have like a 75 minute lecture on that. I, <laughs> okay. oh, I should not have talked about the Maltese Falcon. What is it? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. So that's good. I would like you to start by some self-reflection. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I sucked. Then we're in agreement. People lose teeth talking like that. You want to hang around, you'll be polite. My initial impressions of this are, okay, you're rusty. You're a little rusty. That's fine. Um, it's 8 o'clock at night, and I didn't know. <laughs> oh, is it past oh. your bedtime? A little uh, bit. Never understand me, but I'll try once and then give it up. There's something that you have referred to in a lot of episodes that I actually like a lot. You often will refer to S.S. Stevens yeah. and how he talks about what we do is the principled assignment of number, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And if you had prepared for this, then my guess is you probably would have mentioned that at the beginning. Rather than going with a cultural reference that not even the parents of your students will know, um, <laughs> you went with yeah. Humphrey Bogart. Huh. Well, if you lose a son, it's possible to get another. There's only one Maltese falcon. But it's noir. Like 90% uh -huh. of what I know about statistics are mnemonics. I understand mm -hmm. very little about statistics. Like when mm -hmm. you really peel back the layers of the onions, uh -huh. very little I understand. I have <laughs> mnemonics, and the Maltese Falcon makes me think of Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart makes me think of film noir, and noir uh -huh. makes me remember what the four <laughs> scale types are. You always have a very smooth explanation ready, huh? What do you want me to do, land a study? <laughs> and that's super helpful for someone born in the year 2001. <laughs> I remember watching a Buster Crab picture. Uh, it was a talkie. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Curran. That was super helpful. All right. Give you a pass on that one. That's fine. I don't even get, I don't get a score. It's just it's like a just, mulligan. It's just it's an intellectual mulligan. Ooh, yeah. Do I even get an attaboy for saying Likert? Because in a private, or in a previous episode. Editorial comment. That was an example of Patrick's tell. You noted that if you say Likert, a kitten dies. <laughs> if what you're asking for is, can you get points for something that's barely relevant to the scope of the answer? It's, it's mildly all I'm relevant. asking for. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. Like all of these topics, everything has a lot more drill down. You have 75 minutes of it in the bank. For me, one of the key issues is that maybe it dictates what you should do with the numbers or shouldn't do with the numbers. And I'm not telling you something you don't know. It would be nice to say something not just about there are different ways of thinking about the information numbers contain, but also translating that in terms of what you can do with those numbers mm. comfortably. That's, for me, the grounding in reality that's useful. I'd like to change the topic a little bit. So I okay. pulled up my phone. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, have, right? I will show <laughs> here. I'm holding it up. You can see for fairness okay. that it is yep. 90 seconds. Fine. Um, I need a moment because I don't have one. Define probability, relate it to odds, and tell <laughs> me why I should care. Uh, Go. Okay. <clears throat> I didn't hear everything that you said because I started to get this ringing in my ears while you were talking, which I do when I get nervous. One twenty. Uh, sure. Um, probability is a number on a scale from zero to one that indicates how likely a particular event would be. But let me focus more on 
odds, um, because odds is the thing that might be less familiar here, I would say. Probability, we can talk about things like what's the probability of college students not socially distancing? What's the probability of a university closing after one week? But those would be really <laughs> cruel things to mention. Um, but we can express these things in terms of odds instead. So if it's if there's a probability, let's say mm, 0.75 of a kid leaving high school and then going off to college, 0.75. We could express that in terms of the probability of going versus the probability of not going to college, which would be 0.75 to 0.25 or 3 to 1. That's an odds when you express the probability of an event over the probability of the opposite of the event. So we might say in that case, the odds of going to college is three to one, odds in favor. In my world, we don't use odds a whole lot, but epidemiologists use it, health scientists use it. Um, We do tend to use it when we are in doing what's called logistic regression, when we're trying to predict categorical outcomes, but we don't usually predict the odds because that's a cumbersome scale. So we take the natural log of it and that is logistic regression. Thank you very much, everybody. I'm out. Wow. Okay, either you... Wait, how do I get it to stop now? Stop it. I'm st- it won't stop. Okay. I'm getting, where's my... Christy! Christy! Where's Humphrey Bogart when you need him? I don't, I don't know what voice that was. Arg! There be the Falcon and she be Maltese. Nice! Uh, so I'm not so happy with it, but thank uh, you. Well, okay, so self-reflection... Because we are an open and affirming podcast, and I want to hear your own evaluation of yourself before I tear you a new one. Ah, open and affirming. You know, Patrick, <laughs> the way I... I said that with a straight face? <laughs> yeah. I kind of bailed on probability because you said probability, and my mind locked on odds really quickly. It, mainly because odds is something that in my world, I don't know about your world, odds is really foreign to us. The odds don't come up. And in fact, when I'm teaching about odds to our class, I try to anchor it to things that they might have encountered in, you know, in gambling or right. or in the Hunger Games. May the odds be ever in your favor, I believe is what Effie says. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I try to anchor it to things that they know about, but in the health sciences, they're all about the odds. I just use it mainly as a segue into logistic regression, and then we retreat back into it when we want to interpret the coefficients in logistic regression. But in my answer, it felt really bumpy. It felt like I was zigging and zagging a little bit in places. I don't know that I would take a complete mulligan. Is there a partial mulligan? No, there's not a partial mulligan. Oh. Well, so much of it comes out of gambling, right? Is yeah, all absolutely. I mean, historically, like 200, 300 years ago, is, is the expected value of a distribution is mm-hmm. what are your anticipated earnings if you play this game an infinite amount mm-hmm. of time is all goes back to gambling. But... I struggle to make sense of it because it's deterministically defined by the probability. So it's mm-hmm. P over one minus P. And so for every mm-hmm. unique P, there's an odds that goes with it. How I try to describe it when I teach is we want to fit a model that is linear in some mm-hmm. way, but our binary outcome and thus our probability is bounded by zero and one. Mm-hmm. And if you take that probability and make an odds, you take off the upper bound of that because it can go to positive infinity. And then Mm -hmm. when you take the log of the odds, then you take off the lower bound. And now the log odds, which is sometimes called a logit, 
Now mm -hmm. that ranges from negative infinity to positive infinity. And so it's a little sleight of hand yeah. to allow us to fit a model that is linear in the logits. Now, because I'm a super nice guy, mm -hmm. I didn't ask you about an odds ratio. Yeah. Because I have been in this field for something like 30 years, and to the best mm -hmm. of my knowledge, I have never defined an odds ratio correctly. <laughs> I think it's a ratio of odds. <laughs> you coward. I, I, it's not something I encounter, but it's something that, again, the epidemiologists, they live on that stuff. Somewhere out there listening is a dyed-in-the-wool biostatistician. I have been threatened by saying that an odds ratio of 3.2 is... Now, you can't say probability, right? That's that's, a, a, that's an obscene that misinterpretation, yeah. that you're 3.2 times more likely. That's mm -hmm. wrong. And I under, even I understand. With my mnemonics, even I understand that's wrong. Mm -hmm. But I got intellectually pistol whipped once for saying the odds were 3.2 times higher oh. if you were in one group over the other. And it was pointed out to me that that is not proper. Wow. You got voted off the island right then and there. You lost They your... never even let me on the right. island. <laughs> Probably best. All right. So I just all think right. this is all stalling. That's what it I is think. because we can get back to our stats nope. in the news now. Nope. We're all in. That's you how it works suck. here on the You <laughs> suck. Okay, then let me give you a bit of charity. You ready? You're going to throw me a bone? I sure will. I told on an earlier episode that we would play Trivial Pursuit as a family mm -hmm. when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And we had a dad rule that mm -hmm. you could not pick up a card and go, Oh, this is so easy. The third battleship in Nimitz's midway group was named after what Kaiser? <laughs> so you can't do this throw me a bone thing and also not point out the United States would not have named a battleship after a Kaiser. <laughs> Kaiser. <laughs> <laughs> Just pull off the Band-Aid, dude. Just do it. All right. This is right up your alley. It's dad rule. I'm just going to start the timer before I'm going to tell you the topic because uh, you're, you should be able to do this in 18 seconds. Intra-class correlation, go. Uh, it is a descriptive numerical measure of dependence in data. So back in the day, it was like iterator reliability, but now it's more in multi-level modeling. It's almost a magical kind of number because it is both a proportion of variance and a within-group correlation. For example, say you have kids in classes in multiple classrooms, and they take a math test. Intraclass correlation is either the proportion of the total variability among all the math scores that can be attributed to classroom differences, or exactly the same value can represent the correlation of math scores of students who share a classroom. An ICC of zero means there's no dependency. It means that no two kids are any more or less similar. 
um, a correlation of one, an ICC of one, means that within a given class, every kid has exactly the same score. And so all variability is between school variability or between class variability. You can also apply it to repeated measures data, but it's confusing as hell because people talk about it as reliability and it drives me insane because you can get a reliability of like 0.4, but that's really the correlation of the repeated measures within the person. And people who write programs shouldn't label that as reliability because people think... It's there. I don't know why it's not making the noise really loudly. I think my phone is on a mercy setting. Either that or it's an iPhone 1. <laughs> I, but it's 2G. <laughs> when the bell rings, it's literally a bell. <laughs> yeah, but 2G is twice as much G as 1G because it's a ratio scale. All right, so... <clears throat> Nice um, tie back. That was very, very well much. done. Thank you. All right, Professor, grade me. Yeah, I liked your explanation about what it is. If I could have shoehorned some additional information in there, I might have liked it if you could tie it to the standard errors and the kind of behavior that standard errors of particular statistics, like standard error of the mean, might experience as a result of this degree of intraclass correlation and how it might compromise inference maybe about how the intra-class correlation can get converted into a design effect or a square root of the design effect to try to help us get a sense of the magnitude of this. Um, Is there anything you wish you had shoehorned in there? Other than teaching multi-level modeling in 90 (laughs) seconds? I think the ICC is awesome. I really Uh do. It's a really nice opening paragraph when you talk about an Agatha Christie-like paper. I really like it as saying, we designed a study to examine math achievement. We had these many students and these many classes. We estimated an intraclass correlation that was 0.25. This indicated that of the total variability observed in mass scores, approximately 25% was due to classroom-to-classroom differences. Equivalently stated, any children who shared a classroom, their mass scores were correlated approximately 0.25. We next expanded our model to incorporate predictors to try to understand this dependence. I, it's just a mm-hmm. really wonderful opening orienting paragraph. Mm-hmm. A thing that I think has been lost in recent years is a wonderful, wonderful guy is named Pat Shrout. And he and I go way, way back. He and I were at a conference once and we're driving to the dinner. He took me and it was just the two of us. And we were so engaged in talking, we drove right through the town and drove 45 minutes past it <laughs> before realizing. And we turned around and came back and the dinner was over. <laughs> But he wrote a paper in the late 70s where he gave, I think, six or eight alternative ICCs, mm-hmm. but it was to evaluate inter-rater reliability and different mm-hmm. designs. And different. It's an amazing paper. Late 70s, I think 79. Is it Shroud and, and you're Fleiss? good with this. Was it Fleiss? I was going to say Shroud, Shroud and Fleiss. Fleiss. 79 is my recollection. Now it's all sparkly and shiny with the multi-level model, and I think it's much less used in these applications for inter-rater reliability. And I think we would do well to dig some of that up again because I think that there were some really powerful applications for that. This is like a computer adaptive test. After your performance on the first one, I had to adapt and give you something that I thought was more aligned with your skill set. 
All right, pretty boy. Uh, okay. Yeah, oh, I feel wait, like I this gotta is get coming my... back at me. I... Take your time. Take your time. No, I got to queue up. It has radar. I want something more <laughs> pronouncing. Oh, oh. Yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> I don't... All right, so intra-class correlation for me. Uh... <laughs> oh, no. What? Null hypothesis testing. Oh, sweet God. Um, okay. Uh, 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 all right. I'm going to use an example I don't usually like to use in statistics class, but I'm going to use coin flips to start. Um, you flip a coin 100 times because you want to know if the coin is fair, uh, a 50-50 kind of coin. How many times are you going to have to get a heads when you flip it 100 times for you to change your mind? So if we start with the null hypothesis that the coin is fair, what if you get 55? Will you go, oh, it's a biased coin. What if you get 65? What if you get 70? How many is it going to take for you to change your mind? That's what null hypothesis testing is about, where you start with a particular hypothesis, usually that there is no effect, no relationship. And then the question is, how much evidence are you going to have to see that's going to move you off of that particular position? We don't usually do hypothesis testing with coins. We might we do it with means or correlations. But the idea is, uh, how infrequently would an event have to occur by chance for, for you to change your mind? Would it be 5 ah, 30 seconds? Would it be 5% of the time? Would it be 1% of the time? In other words, 0 0.05, 0 0.01. These are the levels that we set for ourselves. This That means, though, that if someone gets a probability, a p-value of 0.051, they'll reach a different conclusion from somebody who gets a 0.049, for example, if they're doing testing at the 0.05 level. So a lot of people hate this because it's it's very dichotomous in its thinking. It's a weird backwards logic. Uh, it doesn't focus on estimation of effects. I'm out. I had more I to say. <laughs> I'm going to let this play a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's just mocking. The... <laughs> Kind of is, isn't it? Because if I dedicated my career to flipping a coin, that would have been uh -huh. a great answer. <laughs> I, I wish you would have. <laughs> right now, I think that would have been a great thing for you. Um, okay, so it's possible there are some things I wish <laughs> I wish I'd said in there. Oh, that was the highlight of my day, and Greg, this has actually been a pretty good day. Really? Like, okay. Yeah, I have been up for like 14 hours. I've had a really good day. I went for a long run. I had mm -hmm. uh, lunch with my daughters. I caught a lizard on the back deck and put it in oh. a glass jar, and while my daughter was doing her online high school, I crawled on my hands and knees, pushing the jar with my head so that she could have the lizard during school. All of that... That was still uh -huh. the highlight of my day. <laughs> All right, so tell me why it made you happier than a lizard. What is yours? Now yours is going off? My, my timer is mocking me. Damn it. <laughs> Seriously, my timer won't stop. Oh, God. All right, I think it stopped. <laughs> Neither one of us can run <laughs> a, a stopwatch. All right, I liked it. I oh. liked it. Uh -huh. I would have to say... Not great clock management. Okay. <laughs> All right. I I really like the coin flipping because when I teach this in undergrad, I have the story and it starts out that you've got a friend and he bets you a dollar every time it comes up heads 
and mm-hmm. he gets a dollar and tails you get a dollar and he gets ahead and then he gets ahead and then he gets ahead and at some point you have to decide well what is a run of luck versus my friend is cheating me and I have enough evidence to accuse him of cheating me so I've got this whole thing and it takes me like 20 minutes to get through what I just said which shows that I don't cover a lot of material in any given semester. But I kind of was hoping you'd move from there into, like, research. I mentioned means and relations a little bit, but yeah, I I got so caught up in the coin flipping. (laughs) I do something, not exactly like what you did, but whatever I do when I start off in hypothesis testing, there's a video clip that I always play. Can I say what it is? No, I'll let you say, but I'm going to write down... I'm going to write print down. All right, to prove this, I don't want to take away your story. Okay. I'm not going to write it all out. All right, tell me your story, and then I'm going to hold it up. Because you and I really are just doppelgangers at this point. It's just Go ahead. It's disturbing. The clip is from... The movie of the Tom Stoppard play, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Show me your piece of paper. Boom. There it is in sort of, yes. So there is a great, great scene where Gary Oldman just keeps flipping a coin over and over and over, and it just keeps coming up the same. And, you know, so far beyond what ought to be happening, a discussion ensues about maybe there are other forces at work here leading us to question our beliefs. So for me, it is so perfect and so spot on. Yeah, if any of you teach this, is cue it up on YouTube. It's brilliant. In the written play by Stoppard, it's pages where it just says head, 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 head. And it goes on for pages. Giving away the end of the scene is after this whole thing and this deep conversation and everything, he flips it and the guy calls tails mm-hmm. and it comes up heads and he shrugs and he said, that was an even chance. I feel the spell about to be broken. Well, it's an even chance. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many criticisms of null hypothesis significance testing, which I will say, I am not going to completely bash on it. I think that it's a worthy conversation to have. Obviously, it has shortcomings. I'm with you. I will embrace every limitation of null hypothesis testing. But that notion of at what point are there too many heads for you to reasonably believe that it's a fair coin? 78 in a row. A new record, I imagine maps exactly onto at what point do children who receive an intervention have lower depression Mm -hmm. that would allow you to think that your treatment was effective. Mm -hmm. It is the same logical syllogism, and there are 118 potential problems with that, but I still am comfortable with that as an approach to science. I'll give you a B- minus just because you show up for class and laugh at my jokes. (laughs) Okay. Well, what you mean is that I turn on my video monitor and show my face rather than just blanking it out. That's what showing up for class is now. So today was the first day of my girls' online high school. They are sophomores now. And in the first hour of lecture, they got Zoom bombed. And there was five minutes of hardcore porn. while an elderly substitute teacher had a panic attack 
trying to get it off. And some of the kids would pipe in and say, oh, you need to let him into the waiting room. Oh, no, go and find and click on the smiley face. That will... I just love the image of the substitute teacher. Well, and then my daughters, I was like, you guys okay? And they were just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm a little more worried that they weren't upset by it. Yeah. I'll let their mom take care of that. All right. So what we did last time was we did three and three. I think we've done two and two so far. I will give you one more. And I might turn it up a notch because I think you did okay on intra-class correlation. If we're going with the adaptive model, then I'm going to turn this one up just a little bit. I would wish that you didn't. <laughs> I would like you in 90 seconds to talk about suppression. Go. Oh, my God. I hate suppression. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just going to take 10 seconds and just think about how much I hate suppression. Okay. All right. Suppression. Oh, man. I'm going to have to go back to the dusty uh, shelves. Suppression is a predictor and a regression that is not correlated with the dependent variable. But when it's in the presence of another correlated predictor, it increases the predictive validity of the model. So the R squared goes up. In other words, you can have one predictor on its own, say X1 predicting Y, and it has maybe a a regression coefficient of 0.5. When you bring in the suppressing variable, that effect might go to 0.7. It gets stronger. And it makes no sense from our Venn diagram world. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it's kind of indirectly accounting for maybe some artifact or something. It's like a little shock absorber. Dave McKinnon has a great paper talking about mediation, suppression, and confounding. Paul Horst has an old example of studying pilots Mm -hmm. way back in the day. And he had like a spatial test and a math seconds. test, a mechanical test, and a verbal ability. Verbal ability was unrelated to flying ability, but it increased the prediction of the other factors because verbal ability was associated with your ability to read the tests on the others. So it suppressed the air variance. <laughs> I liked your strategy of sacrificing the first 10, 12, 15 seconds uh, to collect your thoughts. That was reasonable, I think, as a strategy. That was an investment in the mediocrity to follow. Mm. Yeah, suppression, that's another one where it's like Lord's Paradox. Damn it. Mm. I should have used that for one of yours. (laughs) Oh, that would have been great. All right, Uh listeners out there, you've got 90 seconds. Lord's paradox. Go. But it's like one of those that is a super straightforward thing Mm -hmm. until you start thinking about it, and Mm -hmm. then you just start chasing your tail. One thing I don't like about suppression in practice is people often invoke that to explain away things that were unexpected. Mm-hmm. Is oh, it's just a suppressor. Yeah. First, it has a pejorative term. So, oh, suppression is at work, and that's why you didn't find evidence for this or that. Mm-hmm. And so, one, it's not a pejorative thing. And two, there have been a lot of papers written on it, but I really like Dave McKinnon. So, McKinnon, Jennifer Kroll, Lockwood, maybe Lockwood. It's been a while now. They compare and contrast suppression with confounding with mediation Mm -hmm. and really set out that confounders are 
different and suppression and mediation are more closely tied to one another. And so I'd recommend looking at that. To me, the biggest thing about suppression is another bullet in the gun of never make any analytical decisions based on bivariate correlations. Yeah. There are like 20 other reasons not to as well of group Uh differences, moderators, all sorts of things. I have been part of research meetings where somebody said, well, I didn't include these three variables because they're not correlated with the outcome. Uh, And so if they're not correlated bivariately, mm -hmm. they're not going to have any impact in the Mm -hmm. model multivariately because they were taught a standard Venn diagram, right, where they're overlapping. And if X1 and Y, the two circles don't overlap, then leave it out of the model. That just could not be more wrong. Yep. I suggest people hear those words again. Just because a variable is not correlated with the outcome variable does not mean that it won't be useful in the model itself. That's a public service announcement. Because I, <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times that comes up. People do that. They go, well, we had a lot of predictors and we had to have a way to rule some of them out. So the ones that weren't correlated with the outcome, we just got rid of those from the start. And I start to get like my left eye does this thing where it starts to twitch. It's uh, Thank you for bringing that up. A quick side story is Paul Horst was one of the first to identify this way, way long time ago, Mm -hmm. uh, early 40s, late 30s, early 40s. Probably 20 years ago, I was at a conference. There was an outdoor luncheon. I was carrying my plate around. There was an elderly man, and he kind of motioned to the seat next to him. And to be completely honest, some of my buddies were at another table, but he, he was like being inviting. You know, and so I went and sat down, and he was the most engaging, charming guy. He just introduced himself as Paul, mm-hmm. and we talked about all sorts of things, and we're almost the last at the table to go back in. It was just the most charming lunch that I had had in ages, and later somebody came up and said, so did you get a chance to meet Paul? And I was like, yeah, he's that old dude, <laughs> and he's like, well, that old dude is Paul Horst. He's one of the founding members of the Psychometric Psychometric Society. Society. He was the founding editor of Psychometrica. Uh You know, what was so fun is in the entire luncheon conversation, never once did he let on that this is one of the most important quantitative people in the century. Yeah. And I was just having a grilled cheese sandwich with him. (laughs) I mean, those are really the best kind of people, right? The people who are just people. All right. So I'm keeping track at home. I get the final uppercut before we retreat to our corners. I've got two simple words for you. <laughs> Wait, can I can I set my timer too just so I can no, see? No, trust because... me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? No. Bayes' theorem. Oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. A curse upon your parents. Um. Okay. Oh, boy. All right, start with conditional probability. The conditional pro. So if I say, what's the probability of you being pregnant? Not you specifically. <laughs> um, what's the probability of someone being pregnant? Uh, what's the probability of getting a plus sign on your clear blue easy pregnancy test given the condition that you're pregnant? That's a conditional probability, and it's the one that they use to sell you the, the device. But what you care about is what is the probability of being pregnant given that you get a plus sign on your clear blue easy pregnancy test. Uh, Bayes' theorem has a way of converting conditional probabilities. So it would be from the probability of getting the plus sign given that you're pregnant to the probability of being pregnant given that you get a plus sign. Uh, and by the way, you can get 
uh, pregnancy tests in bulk at Costco for those who care. Um, <laughs> you can also get ca- caskets, Go! I think. What? <laughs> okay. You have 28 uh, seconds. Okay. Um, so one of the reasons people like Bayes' uh, theorem so much is because it allows you to revise probabilities in the face of new evidence. So if you take another test, another test, another test, your probability gets revised that you're pregnant. Um, it's a move away from null hypothesis significance testing, but it's not a religion. It's not a religion, people. Don't come to my door and ask me if I have a moment to talk about Bayes' theorem. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let this run again because... I didn't think you could do worse clock what? management from your prior <laughs> response. Oh, thanks for using the word prior. <laughs> Just rub it in. What else can you buy at Costco that is relevant for Bayes' theorem? <laughs> Caskets. In bulk? In, that's right. Oh, jeez. All right, go ahead. Dude, that's a hard one. It comes up in our Bayesian course. Obviously, you would hope it comes up in our Bayesian course. I don't teach... <laughs> <laughs> like in the opening 10 minutes? No, it's, no, it's week 14. It's really a slow burn. It's a slow burn to get up to it. Um, but I don't I don't teach the Bayesian class. And in my intro really? class... Really? Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. But I don't even talk about it in intro stat. I mean, we talk about conditional probability and we do stuff with tables with the probabilities. We... We do things with that. I don't get into Bayes' theorem. I just don't have enough time to. But I do think about Bayes' theorem a lot. And certainly I use Bayesian estimation strategies and a lot of stuff. And if I had thought about my answer in a more structured way, I probably would have talked about some of the ways that Bayesian estimation strategies, MCMC, that kind of stuff is built into a lot of popular things. Like 538, for example, a lot of their poll prediction stuff relies on some Bayesian infrastructure. Mm. So there's, there's stuff I could have tied to in a practical way. I actually wish I hadn't painted myself in a corner with the pregnancy example, but I don't know what it was. For some reason, I just froze and thought about pregnancy tests because it's kind of a classic conditional probability example. And then I couldn't not think about Costco. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then we started circling the drain at that point. Generally, when you hit Costco caskets, you know, you should probably just wrap things up. IL-16. Do you... (laughs) Do you want to get in some jabs on this one? Oh, that's a hard one. I would not have done well had you pitched that one to me. So a couple of thoughts. One, I think about things just with my background in clinical psychology of diagnosis. Mm-hmm. False positive, false negative. What's the, mm-hmm. you know, sensitivity, specificity, ROC curves, all of that. Mm. Jack Cohen has that wonderful, I mean, it's a classic, but the world is round P less than 05. And he has a really nice worked example mm-hmm. of these various conditional probabilities. He uses a diagnostic test, not a pregnancy one, nor mm-hmm. was he talking <laughs> about Costco caskets, as I recall. But if you're interested, that's a fascinating discussion. What I feel is an odd conflating of Bayes' theorem with Bayesian statistics mm-hmm. is a couple of times I've made a comment somewhere or another about Bayes' theorem and somebody has said something about how, well, only if you think about the world in that way. And it's mm-hmm. like, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, no. 
You yeah. know, Bayes' theorem is just an expression of moving conditional probabilities from one side to another side. Bayes' theorem is Bayes' theorem. It's the cornerstone, then, of Bayesian statistics of probability of some prior knowledge and getting around the null hypothesis testing issue of what is the probability of your data given the null hypothesis when we really want to know what is the probability of the null hypothesis given Mm -hmm. the data and frequentist is data given the null and Bayesian tries to flip that probability around. The other one though is a colleague of mine once described how he had an entire theory of personality that was based on Bayesian statistics, and it was the strength of the prior. And mm-hmm. so a vast oversimplification of Bayesian is you have some prior belief, then you have the data, and then the prior is updated by the data to create the posterior distribution that is an updated probability distribution. And he had this wonderful insight as to There's some people who have really tight priors that swamp out whatever the data is available. And Mm -hmm. so if you have a really strong prior, it doesn't matter what data is available to you. Your posterior is the same as the prior. Mm -hmm. But then there are some people who have a really flat prior that whatever they believe or respond to is completely governed by whatever data is in front of them. Mm -hmm. And the people you want to hang out with are the moderate priors Mm -hmm. where you have some belief structure, you consider the data that are available, and you update your posterior accordingly. And I thought that was brilliant. An entire theory of personality based on Mm -hmm. the strength of your prior distribution. I love that, actually. It fits with... Everything I remember being talked about in the one psychology class I had. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very clever. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that I wish I had said in there. I just sort of tongue-in-cheek said it's not a religion. People really do treat it just like the question that you got, if you think about the world that way. It has taken on its own epistemological significance for people. That, to me, is kind of weird, even though Thomas Bayes was a reverend. Um, I don't I don't think that's what he had in mind. I think we probably need to get an actual Bayesian in here. Maybe one of the episodes this season we can have interview with a Bayesian and just talk about some of these issues, unless you feel equipped to do that. No, I think there's a moderate likelihood we could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it goes back to something we've discussed earlier. Is we all have the same N by P data matrices. Mm-hmm. And if you have a hardcore, rigid frequentist and uh, grip and rip modern Bayesian, mm-hmm. we're trying to do the same thing with the same data. And I would be troubled if one approach led to a vastly different conclusion than another approach in this. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are many more points of similarity and shared goals than dissimilarities. Mm-hmm. Like everything that we do, there are certain advantages and there are certain disadvantages. We'll get somebody in who actually <laughs> knows something okay. other than the probability that your wife will buy you a coffin at Costco <laughs> if she's pregnant. That was where the that was the example, wasn't it? If, she, if she's pregnant, I will buy my own damn coffin. Uh, (laughs) All right, so I seem to remember at the end of last season, we kind of called it a draw. I think you might have outdone me on this one a bit, if I'm being fair. I think you kind of pooched scales of measurement, but you recovered on the ICC, and I thought your suppression was pretty good, too. My 
DD was really low on that. So I have mentioned my daughter is a platform diver and mm -hmm. different dives of greater complexity get higher DD, which is uh -huh. the degree of difficulty. That's uh -huh. actually a really interesting psychometric measure. Sure. If you do an average job on a three and a half, you get a much better score than if you do a spectacular job on a one and a half. And so it's a differential weighting. But it was always so hard because when she was younger and just starting out, if she did every dive perfectly in a competition and the other girls on her team did cannonballs and jackknives, <laughs> she still would have lost because she didn't have the DD. Uh -huh. My DD was a bit lower. So okay. null hypothesis test and Bayes' theorem, <laughs> you had awful clock management. Just okay. truly awful okay. clock management. But your DD was higher, and <laughs> I am willing to call another draw. Cannonball! <laughs> <laughs> you do an intellectual cannonball, <laughs> followed by an intellectual jackknife, uh -huh. and I will rip and interclass uh -huh. correlation, and we'll come uh -huh. out the same. All right. So this is two episodes now where we have gone in, well, at least one of us has gone in thinking that we're going to do something uh, about current events and how they provide fodder for really, really bad statistical examples. Didn't happen again this time. I don't know if you've ever watched the Jimmy Kimmel show. No. So he had a running gag where he would say at the beginning of a show, and we'll have our special guest tonight, Matt Damon. And then at the end of the show, he'll say, ah, my apologies to Matt Damon. We just didn't have time to get to you. And of course, Matt Damon was never, <laughs> was never there. I think that's where we are right now with this particular topic. It's our Matt Damon. So we're going to call it a draw. Don't worry at all that I took a couple of hours this afternoon to try to organize for this episode. <laughs> It'll be totally usable later since uh -huh. I pulled it out of today's news. <laughs> so when we come back to it in a few months, uh -huh. that'll just be super great. It'll be as fresh as your Humphrey Bogarts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Maltese Falcon, I see. What the hell is that? I don't know. It's late. Uh, oh, I'm my tired. God. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it at well, that. Well, everyone, um, thank you. Not only for your time, but for your tolerance. Yes. I would imagine the vast majority of you have stopped by now. And so the last three or four that are still here. Yes. I'm sorry that you've fallen and you can't get up. And it just keeps playing. But we appreciate the download. Uh, hey, catch you later. <laughs> Good night, everybody. All right, see ya. Hey, Q Potters. Don't forget to tell your friends to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever they get podcasts hosted by middle-aged methodologists. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at QuantitudePod, and visit our website, QuantitudePod.org, where you can leave us a text or voice message. And remember, you can get Quantitude merch at Redbubble.com, where 100% of the proceeds go to DonorsChoose.org to help students in low-income schools to get remote access during these challenging times. You've been listening to Quantitude, way more artificial than intelligence. Today's episode was sponsored by Rock Curves. Not as good as paper curves, but they still beat scissor curves. And by Rock Curves, a little more cowbell, and they'd be classic Rock Curves. And finally, by Rock Curves, which have now decided to go back to their original name, Dwayne Johnson Curves. This is most definitely not NPR.